Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about which scales we teach first and which later. You can find the article that goes along with today's show at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 174. Or if you're not a member yet, colourfulkeys.ie slash 174. Hey there, beautiful teachers. So I feel like today's topic is in danger of being rolling your eyes at me territory. So let me justify it before we go any further, just in case you need it. The scale we choose to start with might seem like an arbitrary decision, or even if it matters, just can't matter that much, and we should be focusing on other things. And I agree, it's not the most important thing in your teaching. However, the scale we start with first can affect a lot of things about the way we teach scales in general, and actually technique in general, and parts of theory. So that's why I wanted to dedicate an article to this and to actually go into it in detail, because it has an impact on the rest of your teaching, even if it seems like a very small, minutia decision, right? So which scale do you start with at the moment? I started myself as a student, I started with C major, and I started all my students with C major until last year. So Trust me, if you're in that camp, you are not alone. Many of us start with C. But we will unpack in this episode a few reasons why you might want to consider starting elsewhere or why other teachers prefer a different starting point. Before we get there, let's think about why we would start one place or another. In other words, what makes some scales harder than others? So I'm going to make an assumption, and I do realize it's kind of a big assumption, that we want to start with the easiest scale first. Are we on board with that? There definitely could be an argument for starting with the hardest one and getting used to that first, but I'm going to side with starting easiest first. So if that's what we want to do, and even if you want to do the reverse, the considerations are the same. If that's what we want to do, though, we need to define what makes a scale easy. There are four aspects, I think, to the difficulty of a scale. There's 
the thumb across technique involved, there's the fingering patterns, and there's the note memorization. Sorry, that's three aspects. So let's start with because it's all the white keys. It seems so simple. But is the most difficult thing about a scale its notes? We may get the impression that it is because students forget what notes go in a scale, but it all depends on what we want to teach from the scale. So if the most important thing is the pattern of notes, then starting with C as the easiest one might make sense. But many of us teach scales as a way to teach technique or as a way to reinforce technique that they've learned elsewhere. And so let's think about the other two difficulty considerations, finger patterns and thumb cross technique. So with the finger patterns, you might think that C is the simplest, but it's not really. C is only the simplest to you because you know that five of the scales use the same fingering. And if you want a language that breaks all its rules or has an impossible list of rules to go along with that, so it does both, you can try to learn Irish, right? It's kind of like a standard verb or a vo verb that follows the format. If you've learned a foreign language, you'll know there's regular verbs and irregular verbs. My mum always said that she preferred, she had to learn French and German in school, I know. And she always preferred learning German because she said, German has more rules, but once you learn the rules, it doesn't break them. And French drove her crazy because it had fewer rules, but it was just breaking them all over the place. Anyway, so the reason why we think that the C major scale fingering, you know, the right hand one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five fingering is easier is just because it's become a regular scale fingering to us. So there is that advantage in that they can do C and then they can do four others directly after that that use the same fingering pattern. Now that's a pro and a con because if we start with C and they learn those five in a row, it makes those five easier, doesn't it? But the question is, does it make it harder to go outside that pattern? Does it make them see the other scales as defaulting to difficult just because they don't use that original pattern that they learned first? Really all scales have basically the same fingering. It's it's really just about where you start in the scale. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. The way it appears to students is that those five are the same and the others are all over the place, right? So is that an advantage or a disadvantage? I think that's up for debate. Now, the biggest reason why many teachers don't like to start with C and are turning the tide on this is the thumb cross technique. This is because in the C scale, you're on all the white keys, right? And your thumb, he's a short little guy. So he has to get all the way across under the third finger. Now I know right now some of you are going crazy. So let me address an elephant that may or may not be in your room, which is the fact that I keep saying thumb cross. I used to say thumb under, I've taken to saying thumb cross, but many people would prefer that I don't use either of those terms because they prefer to think of it as a different kind of movement. For example, some people see it as actually just hopping up to the new position really fast because they were taught or some people teach to tuck the thumb 
really tightly under the hand and that introduces tension. When I talk about thumb cross, I'm really just talking about the change in position. I'm not talking about how you do it, right? It's not the same as saying thumb tuck to me. I'm not describing how we do the technique. That's another debate again. (laughs) Let's stay on the topic of which scale we do. Because no matter which way we do that thumb across or tuck or movement of some description to get from one, two, three to one, two, three, four, five, it's further on the white keys than it is if I have a black key followed by a white key. So for example, D in D major, if we can all visualize a D major scale in the right hand together, we've got one, two, three on the black key. Now three is your longest finger, so do this on a tabletop or go to a piano right now if you can. Put your third finger on that black key and see the bridge it creates, the little passageway it creates for your thumb to go to G, right? It's much closer because your third finger is the long one, it has that natural curve because it's up on the black key, and your little thumb can just sneak underneath. So that is the main argument for not starting there and for starting instead with something that uses a black key under the third finger. Before we get to my two main choices and the debates between them, for scale number one for your students, let's take a quick sidestep and talk about pentascales. Because many teachers like prefer to start with pentascales before they even get to scales. So if you're not familiar, because these aren't taught in every uh, part of the world, they're not common everywhere, a pentascale is always also known as a five-finger pattern. So this would be the first five notes of a scale. It is not, and I see this confusion a lot with, with teachers in areas where these are not common, it's not us mispronouncing pentatonic scale. It's a pentascale. So a pentatonic scale is do, re, mi, so, la. One, two, three, five, six from the major scale. A pentatonic is a different thing to a pentascale. So a pentascale is just the first five notes. C, D, E, F, G in C major. Some teachers like to teach all the major pentascales or even all the majors and minors to every student. And some only do them with some students. And some have never heard of it until just right now on this podcast. So personally, I like to only do pentascales with my young beginners that I think they'd be beneficial for. So when would they be beneficial? For me, mostly, that would be if I need a student to work more on their technique before they can get to scales. So if they're in an extended period of not having any kind of scales, these might be a good sidestep along the way. I don't think they lead that closely to scales. I don't feel the need to use them as a way to make scales easier at first. They're really an opportunity to practice technique in a different context to me. And when my students do work on pentascales, I have them do them with fingers one to five. So no thumb crosses or thumb overs or unders or anything. I have them do them just with their fingers all on the keys, no moving around. And they do them both non-legato and legato. Or if I have a student who... Needs, we need to delay legato for the most part because they're just 
playing with too much tension when we work on legato, I'll have them do these non-legato. So I treat them quite differently to regular scales. And we use them also to work on transposing and having fun with them and that kind of stuff. But I really only use them with young beginners. There's nothing wrong with doing them with older students. I would just invite you to take this opportunity while you're listening to step back and say, why am I doing them? Do you have a reason? Because if you do, great, keep using them. If you don't, maybe you can jump to regular scales with some students. So the big question, which scale shall we do first? I'm going to boil this down to two choices. C major, the old faithful, or G flat major. So let me make the case for changing to G flat, like I have for many students, first. And then I'll give you the devil's advocate version for sticking with C, if that's where you're at right now. So, Mr. Chopin, I think we should listen to him, first of all. He taught uh, many of his students black key scales first and C major last. He said, or is said to have said, that C major was the most difficult scale to teach because of that technique required. So, I like G flat major here. But I do know that many people, probably more people, like B major for the same reasons. Okay? So you can interchange that here, but I will tell you in a sec why I prefer G flat. The main reason for either of those, though, is the technique. So if we have a scale with all the black keys in it, we have our fingers up on the black key. That means our little guys, the five and the one, are down on the white keys. Try this out. Shake out your hand so it's just loose and no tension in it and just place it on the piano. It will naturally fall into that shape much more easily than on the white keys lined up almost in a row. So that's the main logic to it and I think it's a powerful argument. Starting with the most comfortable scale means that your student learns to play scales without tension, without weird habits that they build into their playing. And they can carry that forward to all of their other scales gradually as well. But if they start from a place of tension, by doing C major, for example, and if there's even a, a slightly higher likelihood of them starting with tension that way, then they're more likely to bring that into all scales, even the ones that are naturally more comfortable, like B major or G flat. Now, why did I choose G-flat rather than B? For me, this is about fingering patterns. So we know that the B major, we start with four in the left, one in the right. That can be something extra to remember. But the other thing is with G-flat, okay, for many beginners, they're coming from a place where they have at least done some pieces. It could be reading pieces, could be improv, could be rote pieces where they played with three fingers on the black keys. Many methods start this way. And so if they're coming from that place, they're already used to that shape. That's very natural that if you say, put your hand on the three black keys, they'll put two, three, four on both hands in that shape. So that's already a default starting position. They don't need to remember it's four and two. Yes, there are two thumb crosses, but I mean, that's useful. That's the practice of, of that technique in that position where it's comfortable because we've got a black key followed by a white key. 
So that's why I like G flat, although I think it's splitting hairs a little bit, but I prefer to start with that versus B. Let's go back to our old friend C and just give him his fair chance. So it didn't become the standard without, the re without a reason. The main benefit of C major is the ease of reading and relating to pieces. So we talked earlier about it being easy to find the notes. It's really easy to find whatever notes. I mean, if you talk about G flat major, if you just tell them the two white keys, that's a pretty easy scale, actually, to find on the piano. It's just about your perspective on it. However, with C major, it's going to be easier to read that if you want them to read it from notation, which we'll talk about next week on the show. But it's going to be easier to read that, and it's going to be easier to relate it to pieces, which is a big one for me. You can make that more relevant because they're more likely to be reading pieces in C major than in G flat at this stage. The other thing which we spoke about earlier is that they can then go on to learn those four other scales which use the same fingering pattern so they can reinforce it more. Could be a pro, that could be a con, I'll leave you to decide which it is for you. Let's briefly talk about the order that we take the scales from here. I prefer to teach scales in the circle of fifths or the circle of fourths, in most cases circle of fifths for major scales. So the reason I like this pattern is obviously the logic of the theory behind it. We're building up or down in sharps or flats, and that makes a lot of sense. It makes it easier to relate the scales to each other, which is really important to me. Now, many people list the circle of fifths as being why they start with C major, which is pretty bizarre to me. All you need to do is get your circle of fifths, that beautiful printed out circle or on your computer, wherever you have it, and just turn it around, okay? There's no reason why C has to be at the top of the clock and G flat at the bottom. I mean, just twist it. Honestly, I know that's simplistic of me, but really, you can start anywhere on a circle of fifths. It's a circle. So if you start with G flat, you can do the circle of fifths and tackle all those flat scales first. And maybe your student will go on to think that the flat scales are the easier scales. And wouldn't that be cool? Or you can go backward circle of fifths slash circle of fourths and tackle the sharps after you've done G flat or after you've done B, if that's your preference. So that is what I preferred, the order I prefer to teach from there. However, if you prefer, you can go chromatic. That's the other obvious option. Going chromatically, the major advantage there is if you are teaching scales through patterns of semitones and tones or whole steps and half steps. So if you like to use that as a way to teach scales, then it's going to be more immediately um, apparent that they're following the same pattern. So that's the only advantage I really see to doing chromatic. Other than that, I do see a lot of advantages to practicing chromatic in a chromatic order later, but that's only because those students will have learned through the circle of fifths and now they need to practice in a different order in order to not get stuck only being able to do things in the circle of fifths, right? For me, though, the main thing would be if you're teaching through whole and half steps, semitones and tones, maybe you prefer to do chromatic. You can tell me your thoughts, though. I'd love to hear why you teach in a chromatic order or why you start with a major, whatever it is for you. Your one thing of the week this week is to consider where you start with scales. 
If you have always taught the scales in the same order or always started with the same particular one, consider trying something different. See what appeals to you, even if you're not quite sure about it, and make a note to try this with the next student you can. The next opportunity you get, you're going to start with blank, whatever approach appeals to you. Thank you for joining me this week on the show. I hope you enjoyed this discussion and didn't find it too neurotic of me to nitpick over which scale we teach first. Let me know what you think of this topic and where you like to start with scales. You can do that in the comments underneath this article at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 174 or colorfulkeys.ie slash 174 if you're not a member. I'll see you there. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it, and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July, and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.